Welcome to Cursed. I'm Bones uh, and or Josh. And today I'm joined by J. Allen Cross. Um, and I feel like this should have been a long time coming uh, <laughs> from the early days of this podcast, but uh, you've got a book coming out or that's out now. And um, so I'll let you kind of fill people in. Yes, absolutely. So um, as Bones was saying, my name is J. Allen Cross. Um, I am a practicing witch, and I just came out with a book through uh, Wiser Books, and it is called American Brujeria. And it is all about the kind of fascinating world of Mexican-American folk magic as it's uh, practiced in modern times here on American soil, which is uh, something that a lot of people don't get to hear about and a lot of people don't uh, necessarily know even exists. So I'm, I'm very happy to bring it to the masses. Now, as somebody who, um you know, is, is white and uh, a practicing witch. I am not very familiar. I mean, of course, you don't, if you don't count witch talk and all this shit going around, that's like <laughs> so much misinformation. But um, in reading the book, uh, this is something you kind of coined or um, what went about kind of, because in the book, you're like, well, this isn't the traditional um, Blue Haria. But at the same time, like I'm practicing this and it needs a name kind of thing. Exactly. Uh, so I, I did kind of come up with the term American Brujeria. Um, I don't I don't claim to have come up with the entire system of magic, of course. I just wanted a way to um, really categorize it and, and make sure that people understood what I'm talking about. Because in the United States, you know, those of us who are of Latinx descent of some form or another, whether it's Mexican or Puerto Rican or, or whatever it is, um, we end up doing this magic that's kind of a, a mishmash of our of our heritage and what was brought over to the United States from our ancestors. And when you ask, you know, these modern people like me, you know, you know, what is this called? A lot of times folks will respond and say, oh, well, this is brujeria, um, which is is an interesting uh, thing that, that that's come about, that people are, are wanting to call it that. Um, and I think it's mostly because the direct translation of the word brujeria is witchcraft, even though those are two very separate practices. That's something I have a lot of arguments with people online about, <laughs> that, that the practice of witchcraft and the practice of brujeria are not necessarily um, the same thing, um, even if it does translate as such. Um, but it's it's something that we've been calling it over here. But I wanted to, I I didn't feel comfortable writing a book, and saying yes, this is brujeria because once we go back into Mexico or in, in these other countries, these Latin countries, um, the the practice is very different than what it is that we're doing here because post immigration things change, similarly to how we have like voodoo in Africa, but then we also have New Orleans voodoo, or we have um, like Haitian voodoo or things like that. When we immigrate, when we change um, our geographical location, so does the magic. The magic changes because we have different problems in these new places that need to be addressed. We have different resources available to us. Um, and some of the things that we may have relied upon in our old countries are no longer available here. So there, there is a, quite a bit of a difference between um, kind of the old way and the new way. And so I wanted to make sure that I wasn't erasing culture and erasing history by calling what is in this book real traditional brujeria, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's invalid at the same time, simply because it's modern, because it's built on, you know, the bits and pieces that were brought over by immigrants and our ancestors and our grandparents and things like that, and then passed down to us. So this magic is very real and it's very powerful, but I wanted to make sure that I was very clear on what it was that I was talking about in this book. So that's when I came up with the term American Brujeria. That, well, let's see, that's a good uh, way to approach it because it is a very different thing than a like a hashtag um, on, right. <laughs> on social media today versus what it really means in say, like if you were in Mexico and started saying that, then you would be perceived a lot differently than just like, I am calling myself this because I practice witchcraft and you know what I mean? Like, it's very different. Yes, absolutely. Well, because like, you know, in the United States, we, we've done a lot of work to kind of reclaim the title of witch and turn it into something. Cause you know, back in the day when you said witch, which meant, you know, flying through the night and snatching and eating babies and, you know, causing cattle blight and all this stuff, which I'm like, yeah, I mean, I think we can all say that we're against, you know, eating babies. Um, but 
nowadays, you know, in the United States, you know, being a witch means, you know, someone who is in touch with nature and is a healer and, and, and all this stuff. Right. And so people think that that terms like bruja and brujo um, are, are the same, that if they go to Mexico or, or, or another, you know, Mexican, or <laughs> words are hard, and another <laughs> Spanish-speaking country, you know, a place like Mexico and say, oh, I'm a bruja or I'm a brujo, that they're going to be understood as like, a Wiccan who collects crystals, and that's not the case. You you go to a place like Mexico and say, "Oh, I'm a bruja," and people will like cross themselves and flee yes. from you, <laughs> um, because in these places, you know, brujeria is is not necessarily misunderstood. People think a lot of times like, "Oh, well, you know," um, there was even a book that came out that said that you know, brujeria is all about healing, and that's that's not. The case at all. In fact, brujeria tends to be very dark um, and very harsh, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of it is is very scary. Um, and so, there's a reason why people are afraid of it. And so, when we put the title like brujo or bruja on ourselves, we're telling people that we do this very dark, very intense form of magic. Um, and and that very much scares people because a lot of people, you know, I, I did a lot of um, interviews with folks, you know, for writing this book, and a lot of people have had um, very scary encounters with real brujas and brujos, um, and so so there is a reason why people are kind of afraid of the idea. So I wanted to talk about in the book a lot too about like okay, like in the United States, if you say I'm a bruja, that just means I'm somebody who is of you know Latinx descent who is practicing a magic that is kind of similar to the culture that I come from um, versus when you actually go to these countries, it's very different. So I wanted to make sure that kind of where the borders lie was very much defined in the book. Well, that I mean, that's, I mean, it's a good thing that, um, you know, in this country where, you know, at that point where, like you said, you take the word witch and, but that doesn't mean, especially globally, you can't just go around saying I'm a witch and everything be okay. Right. Um, but here, you know, it's it's a sense of empowerment and and there's more acceptance of it. But I, I still feel like, you know, you've got to know and, and you make a good point about that. It's like, know what you're using, what you're saying and why you're saying it. Um, and know that there are differences in the words you carry, especially from outsiders who, you know, are looking in and might, I don't know, I mean, from everything between misunderstanding and trying to um, whitewash things, especially when it Mm -hmm. comes to just because, and and I mean, I know that that falls under the, um, I don't even like to call it, but with the folk magic here in Appalachia, it's, you know, it's very different than um, practices with Wicca. And and there's, you know, there's not just, it's not so easy as like a black and white kind of thing. So, you know, Mm -hmm. people are using words and and I think they conflate witchcraft with spirituality and good things, which it can be, but it's just, it's not, it's indifferent in a way. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, you you can't just say, well, because I'm spiritual and I light some candles and I have some crystals, I'm a wit. Like witchcraft is dangerous. Um, and absolutely. Yeah. And so I think there's like that relation there with, um, you know, using any term now with social media is like, I'm a witch. And, um, you know, it's st- especially here, it scares people. Um, I don't go around in the South telling people I'm a witch, not everybody. Um, you know, because it's like, what do you do? Tell them you're, a witch and then you know they're gonna try to pray over you and all that but yeah um, <laughs> but I think it's we good like to avoid that <laughs> yeah I think that it's good that you make the um the point to say like um this is what I'm doing and this is what might be traditional and if you want that you can go look at that but I'm you know you're doing it from a um not a mixing but I mean what you're you're it's it's something tangible and real and it has roots and yet mm-hmm. it became its own thing um, because, you know, we, we don't have access. It depends on where you live in this country, but we don't have mm-hmm. access to the same thing. So um, when people immigrate to wherever they're going to use what's around them because um, you can't always just get whatever. Um, yeah. So that form and yeah, not, not coming up with it, but um, kind of making it a point to say, this is why I'm calling it. This um, is a good way. I think for people to, 
especially coming in because I mean, I'm sure this book's doing very well. It's what it looks like. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who have no idea um, or maybe they had misconceptions of what it is. So hopefully, you know, the book with you laying it out in the beginning too is like uh, helping people kind of understand um, the uh, the culture of it, where it comes from and why you can't just um, <laughs> assume that everything is under one label. Um, yeah. But then another thing that I wanted that I liked, um, and you make pretty clear in the beginning is um, that the the touchy line of appropriation, because <laughs> there's, there's a lot of it um, now with social media. And um, it's like, everybody just wants to pick and take. But what I thought was interesting is you're like, you can use it, but you give like kind of a, a good guideline, I think, and a good like, um, a couple rules, I think of like, what's okay and what isn't okay. Um, I guess when you wrote the book, did you think I need to outline this so people don't abuse it? Or I just want people, cause there's, I mean, there's so many misconceptions. Um, but like with those guidelines, like what I guess led you to kind of, does that make sense? Because yeah. I feel like I already, I don't want to ask a rhetorical question, but at the same time, it's like, it's important to point that out. But um, yeah, I hadn't, I wasn't familiar with that uh, as far as like, somebody I guess then it's just the toxic part of social media is it's either all okay or some people are like don't even touch it and then here you are saying like well you can but here's how you know right I feel like there's a middle ground because it really kind of depends on, on on who you talk to because like you go over to to like TikTok everything is a closed practice no one's allowed to do anything at all like not terror at one not point nothing. right yeah I at one point I shared um, a list of my favorite books on, on Mexican magic and suddenly was inundated with comments from people going, and if you are not 100% Mexican, then you should never, ever read these ever. And I'm like, whoa, hold on. I'm like, so we're telling people not to support like Mexican authors. We're telling people not to support this work because all the books that I was sharing were um, done by people who, who are from the community, which is important to support these voices because up until recently, we weren't really allowed to or able to write books on our own magic. It was always written by people from outside of the community, usually who very much missed the mark. Um, right. And so to say that no one, except for those who are like 100% Mexican, um, are not allowed to read them or buy them was was very shocking for me because I'm like, well, first of all, what happens to the person who's 80% Mexican? I have a lot of folks who are messaging me like, I'm only like 75% Mexican. Um, can I still read your book? And I'm like, yes, of course you can. Like, that's a huge part of who you are. Like, <laughs> yeah. you are absolutely allowed to. Um, and on the other hand, though, I, I knew that when this book came out, that I, that, that kind of two things would be going on. First of all, for simply marketing purposes, um, I knew that I would need to, whether, um, you know, I, that they would want me to say, this is for everyone, that everybody can do this, that everybody should, should, you know, get involved, whatever. Um, because, you know, books don't sell well when you say, you know, oh, only select few can do it, which is honestly why we're seeing the changes we are seeing in the witchcraft community is because a lot of people are changing things in order to make them more marketable. And yeah. at the same time, I also knew that once this book was out there, um, it would be, I would have no control over it. Once it's released, whoever wants to pick it up and do whatever they want with it is going to do that. And there would be nothing that I could do to stop them or, or say anything about it. So I wanted to build it into the book. Um, you know, and, and I knew that people would have questions too. Like, you know, I'm not from this community. Can I do this? Can I work with this magic? And so I built an entire section into the first chapter that's like, okay, if you are not Mexican and you want to use this magic, um, can you do that? And the answer is yes, because this is not a closed practice, um, but we need to have a conversation about it first. Mm -hmm. And we need to look into things like, what is your relationship like with Mexican people? Because folk magic is irrevocably tied to the people that it comes from. Exactly. Without the culture and the people, there is no folk magic. So you, you have to start there. What is your relationship like with Mexican people? Are you supporting Mexican people with your words and how you spend your money and with your votes? Um, and if you're 
looking at that and the answer is no, I'm not really supporting Mexican people. What can we do to change that? How do we turn that around? How do we get you to support Mexican people? And then the next kind of step in that section is understanding what is cultural appropriation and what isn't because again, I, I blame TikTok on a lot of this stuff. The, the, um, the definitions around appropriation have, have varied widely and mm -hmm. it's gotten to the point where it's like, if anything comes from a culture at all, then you can't touch it. And I'm like, well, that includes everything in the world. Um, so we have to kind of define this more. I had people um, while I was writing this book message me and be like, oh, I'm so sad that I, um, don't get to drink margaritas anymore because those are from Mexico and it would be cultural appropriation if I drank a margarita. And I'm like, no, like that is not, that is not what we're talking about here. Um, so I wanted to really define, you know, where the boundaries of what is cultural appropriation and what isn't. And, and how I went about that was I have the reader ask themselves three questions. And the first question is, does this make me money? Am I making money off of this? That should be the first place that you kind of look. So, you know, as, as a Native American, we have a lot of issues with people like appropriating things like dream catchers. But that doesn't necessarily mean that people who are not Native American can't use a dream catcher. So, so say you are a, a white person who, who has been having a bunch of nightmares um, and you decide that you might need one. Well, you can absolutely go out and purchase one, especially one that was, um, you know, made by Native American person. I highly recommend purchasing these things from, you know, the, the community. Um, so not Urban also, Outfitters. Yeah, not Urban Outfitters, not, not from some big truck at the fair or whatever. Um, you know, buy, buy a real dream catcher from a real Native American person. Or, you know, if you, even if you wanted to make your own, that would still be okay. However, the moment you open an Etsy selling your handmade dream catchers, oh then we cross over into culture appropriation and then it's no longer okay. We're not all out here making macrame plant holders. So you just right. <laughs> stay in your lane. Um, exactly. But I think there's, I mean, at the same point, it's like, it's like life and what we do and the fact that we're so connected it like it's a shame to to be so scared that you don't even learn and appreciate and make friends with the community and like I mean that's a beautiful thing so to to shut yourself down from everything just because you're not allowed now there are some that are like some things are very starkly like this is closed do not come here yeah. that's different but um you know if you have a fascination and you and you want to I mean it, and I think it would encourage people too. It's like, well, I do like this and maybe I am lacking in, um, I don't have any connections to the Latinx community. Maybe your book will help, you know, inspire that too and and reach out and that these stories and the folk magic and tales and all that good stuff will, you know, just continue growing and building. But um, yeah, I think your, your first thing is if I'm making money off this and like, you know, that, that, that should be your first red flag is like, I don't have any reason to make and sell these things and blah, blah, blah. And then you also mentioned like, you know, um, taking up space where I am taking something from somebody that is actually a part of this. Um, and that's like the whole colonialization of, you know, I, I like this, I'm taking it and I'm going to make it mine and I'm twisting it. And it is what I say it is now. It's like, no, you revere it and you become like maybe a student of it, but you can't like make it yours, if that makes sense. Yeah, you can't be the face of it and right. taking up things like um, speaking uh, positions or, you know, uh, you know, writing books on it that should be written by people in the community. This idea of taking up space is, is a big deal. And especially in a lot of these practices that have indigenous roots in them. Like, you know, again, as a Native American, you know, it's very common for us to show up at a sweat lodge and be the only Native American there, including the person leading the sweat lodge. Mm -hmm. So it, you can feel very displaced in your own, in your own culture. And then of course the third one is, is, you know, are you erasing culture, which is, which is the hardest one for people to see mostly because they don't want to see it. Uh -huh. and, and that involves things like, um, um, that involves things like, okay, well, I want to do like a, something that's really popular right now is like, oh, well, I want to do Santeria. Um, however, there isn't anyone around here who can initiate me and I don't have the money to fly to, you know, 
Cuba or wherever I need to go to get initiated into Santeria. Um, so I'm just going to skip all of that um, and just start lighting candles to Oshun and, and asking for stuff mm -hmm. um, is, is something that we see a lot. And then that that erases culture, that erases the need for the initiation, which is all very important things. Those aren't there just to be a gatekeeping mechanism. Those are there to make sure that the spirits that you're working with are also agreeing to work with you. There's a lot of steps that are very necessary. And so a lot of times people like to kind of erase culture in order to either make it easier for themselves or to make things more marketable. They'll take away the pieces that are scary or uncomfortable and pretend like they don't exist in order to sell it. Yeah, I mean, that's... Um... It's like, well, I've already sacrificed um, the uh, baby. Now what do I do? Um, and right. it's like, but, uh, you know, it's like, well, they they don't want to. Um, I, I feel like you get to this point and, and, and nothing against people that, you know, relate to like a godhead or thing. But these spirits and entities and deities are rooted in the culture they're coming from. And to pick and choose and think, well, I can... I, you know, I follow Hecate, so I like the sound of this. I'm going to do a counterpart and can consider it the same thing. Like, no, you have to, you know, you're basically rewriting it. And whether or not you even speak out loud or anybody knows what you're doing, mm -hmm. the ancestors, the spirits, the deities know what you're doing, and you're not even going to have an effective uh, practice. So I don't understand why um, some people are so like hard pressed to change and like alter things, but Nobody and wants to so, look at the bad stuff. Um, they want to think they're doing good and they want the, the good parts. But there's a lot of dark, um, kind of like how you said, like, this is not, um, this isn't just healing. I mean, that makes it sound palatable and, and mm -hmm. nice and, and, but it's not, it, you know what I mean? Like, there's dark aspects to this. And there's a reason people are scared of it. It's witchcraft. It's your own path. Like, if you want to follow that, like, just leave it in the where it belongs and don't touch it don't try to change it absolutely i always try and put it into real world terms because i i think that really jostles some things for some people as far as like things like um like oh okay like like changing the stories of certain you know deities like you know we're seeing all the stuff right now where like you know Lilith is is my loving mother and I'm like Lilith is is not a mother figure i'm like that is not that is not something that that we really want to go towards, but also imagine being Lilith. Like if you're just like walking down the street and someone runs up to you and is like, oh my gosh, I absolutely love you. You are the best ever. I want to work with you and like worship you and all this stuff. And you're like, okay, cool. And they're like, um, however, I'm gonna need you to change your entire personality. Um, I'm also gonna need you to change your past and your history. Um, I'm also gonna need to, you to, to be blonde. Um, yeah. And I'm gonna need you to like these things because I've decided it. I'd be right. like, get away from me. <laughs> yeah so um actually i like the aesthetic that you've got but i really need somebody to be nice to me so if yeah you... but uh, yeah it makes me uncomfortable to think that you might not be all love and light so uh, i need you to be that and i'm like that's not how this works people yeah it's not a free pass to like well i've made this uh goddess or this deity um very like motherly so I can get away with whatever I want and I don't have responsibility like when exactly. you talk about um Santa Muerta it's like yeah don't just to haphazardly go in and be like this is the dark goddess of this um that I want to pull from it's like you're you're going into things that you've you've not understood you've not researched you've not looked into and then mm -hmm. surprised when it doesn't turn out how you want it to um, these are right. real things you're calling on yeah, absolutely. Especially like really hot spirits, like, you know, La Santa Muerte, she is, you know, of course there are people who have had very loving connections with her, but also she's not one that you mess with. She's not one that you want to disrespect and one that you want to treat like an ATM because she will correct you. And let me tell you, she, you will not like it when she does. You know, we have to remember that this is the spirit of death and people get really uncomfortable when you kind of remind them of that and make them look at it because they don't want to look at it. They want to romanticize it. They want to be like, oh, death is beautiful and it's just a metaphor for this or that. And it's like, no, it's not. It is real. This is this is real stuff and you can romanticize it all you want, but that doesn't change the reality of the spirit that we are working with. Yeah, this that's why Twilight- requires respect. 
it's why twilight exists because it's like what if vampires weren't this and i made them very friendly like what if they were vegetarian right and they sparkled and they didn't kill people um (laughs) but yeah you i mean it's still like it's just it, it is everywhere and i mean for me it's been as somebody who watches tiktok the the i there's three things i try to avoid um I try to avoid straight TikTok, 100%. Um, <laughs> I avoid uh, paranormal talk and witch talk. Because I, even though I have friends who are out there and they are, um, they, I follow up and they make great ones. Like when somebody says, oh, have you seen this on witch talk? I'm like, no, for a good reason. I'm on frog talk. I'm on queer talk. Like I'm happy. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's a lot, like even with Twitter and and seeing stuff, I mean, there's so much back and forth. I feel like people are overlooking the fact that this is an actual culture that you could learn about instead of, and I think people are just misplaced too when it comes to like defending things. And it's just like, just shut up. Like there's, you right. really need not say anything about this. It doesn't concern you at all. Nobody needs to talk about how tarot is appropriation. Like just sit down, McKenzie. Don't. You're right. Like we didn't even, nobody asked you to go here today. And it's, it's such an interesting phenomenon when it comes to TikTok, because first of all, we get so much of this problem because people have found out that if they make a video saying, Hey, everybody, this is a very serious talk. uh, This is a very serious discussion that we need to have. Um, You know, plant magic is a closed practice and kind of do this holier than thou virtue signaling post that it gets a lot of traction. A lot of people comment on it. A lot of people have things to say. And once that that happens, then the algorithm picks it up huge. Suddenly they're getting a bunch of followers. There's a lot of comments. They get a lot of likes and stuff like that. So people have found out that if they do that, whether it's helpful or damaging to the culture that they're talking about or not they don't seem to care but it's getting them traction on social media yeah they get attention weird yeah because like i'll be i'll be on tiktok because i I have a tiktok i I accidentally got a huge following on tiktok i i didn't mean to but i did um but like I'll, i'll have people in my comments like hey like i i am 100 mexican i was born in mexico um and i grew up and i live here still um, but I've been told that because I have light skin that I can't practice brujería. And because of the way TikTok is, someone generally gets there to answer before I do. Of and course. someone commented underneath them and was like, yeah, this is true. You can't practice it because if the spirit sees someone who looks like a colonizer, then they'll attack you. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> To, first of all, to think that the spirits are out here racially profiling people and can't right. and tell their own people right. from And they're, they're so simple, like... Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, that they just see white skin and just attack for no reason. Right. <laughs> uh, but then when I called this person out on it and was like, um, that is not true at all, like, please don't spread misinformation, they were like, they were like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. It's just something that I heard on TikTok. And that's something that I see happen a lot, where people will very aggressively state things like facts. And then when they're called out on it, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. I'm actually, I actually know nothing about this, but this is something that I saw once on TikTok like a while ago. And I'm like, it's, no. I read the, yeah, I read the headline, but I didn't actually read the article kind of thing. Um, right? And now I have feelings about it and I'm going to go. <laughs> and people absorb the things that random strangers just offhandedly say to them as fact. And it's very weird to see people just absorb that and go like, oh, okay, thank you, random stranger. I now know how that works. And it's like, no, 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 no. But I did like, um, like I said, I did, I did like that approach from like the middle ground and, and kind of that awareness that, you know, like you said, it's going to be out of my hands. People are either going to use it or they're not. I don't have a say. Mm -hmm. So at least I can kind of point them in the right, like thought pattern of, you know, get to know this community, get to work with this. Um, don't just take titles and, and names and stuff just because they sound cool. Um, or, you know, uh, it's a trending hashtag or some shit. Like this is real work. You have to do it. And, um, you know, you have to learn and it's at your disposal, like whether it's community online, uh, in person, like you can do this, like all you have to do is reach out, which it sounds like you did for the book. It sounds like you got a lot of, um, maybe you would call it the um it, it, I forget how you put it but something like I was worried to write this book because it's like 
what makes me the face, the voice of this kind of thing. Um, But then when you reached out, you got all the support and stuff in the stories. Um, That must've been a very, uh, a cool experience to um, hear all the sides of that. Yeah, that was a, that was a huge part of this book because, you know, I, I knew that I had been doing this work, you know, the, the, this type of brujeria, this type of folk magic for a while at that point. And I was, I, I had experience in it. I was, you know, educated about it, but also I knew that my personal experience of the work was not the only experience. And I didn't want to write this book just simply from my point of view, because you know, I started this book and it was kind of about me and what I knew. And then once Wiser accepted my pitch, then I realized, then it, it really sort of hit me that it was like, wow, this book is not just about me. This book is about my entire community. Mm-hmm. And I got so, I there was just so much responsibility that I felt kind of settle on my shoulders in that moment. And so I knew I was like, this book cannot just be about me. This book has to be about my community and their voices and their stories. And so after I stopped, you know, huffing into a paper bag, uh, (laughs) I began to call everyone I knew that was Mexican-American, you know, people who had been here for several generations, people who had moved, who were first generation, people who were immigrants, um, everyone I knew of Mexican heritage, I called. And I also sat down with absolute strangers. My mother at the time was working in a Mexican restaurant. And so I'm sitting down with waitresses and bussers and cooks and um, asking them to tell me their stories. And they were all so excited to talk about it um, and, and share about it and their stories and the things that they had seen because I wasn't just collecting at that time like, you know, recipes and spells and stuff. I, it, it was their stories about the, you know, um, times that they went to go see a curandero or um, times that they um, saw something like like La Llorona um, or El Cucuy, um, you know, all these stories. So it was so interesting to hear them talk about it because people don't realize that Mexican people are very connected to the other side and the other world. And so we as Mexican people tend to have a higher rate of coming in contact with things like ghosts and spirits and, um, you know, experiencing magic and things like that, just because it is so alive in our world and in our blood and in our culture. And so it was very neat to see that basically everyone I spoke to had some sort of a story to share. And that was really beautiful. And so they ended up being a bigger part of the book than necessarily I was. The book started about me, but it ended up about all of them. And I think that that's really how it should have been. Yeah, which is like a a reflection. It's almost like, uh, which the question I probably should have asked before that one was, what kind of like drove you to feel like I've got to get this out, I've got to write this. But um, with, with that, to feel like you're taking something that might be personal and then it's kind of like whether it's the ancestors or whatever that it's like no this is bigger than you and this is you're going to be our mouthpiece for this right now um so that's really cool to take up that mantle like you said after a panic attack of like oh shit (laughs) i'm like i have to do this right (laughs) but surely it's no accident of course um so it's nice to hear that um that was allowed to speak through you and you be like the um messenger for these because um in my experience, um, doing when when people find out you whether you're a witch or not, paranormal investigator, they're like, "Oh man, that's crazy!" Like I don't know. And then like, "Oh, but I saw this." So I mean, yeah, it's like when people find out, even if they're because I was wondering what the reception was, especially with um, people that might be um, uh, scared of witchcraft, uh, and that you come to and say, "Hey, I'm writing this book. What stories do you have?" Um, did you get both? Like, did you get like the scary stories of my family came in contact with, um, you know, this entity, um, and I felt like it was an attack versus like, "Oh, this is my practice," and you know, did you get both sides of that? Well, what was funny is I'd sit down with people and I'd be like, "Okay, so I'm I'm writing a book and it's going to be on you know Mexican American folk magic." And the people I would talk to would immediately be like, well, no, 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 you, you got the wrong person. I don't do any of that. Um, you know, I, I have nothing to tell you. And I'm like, I'm like, wait, wait. I'm like, 
just just hear me out. I'm like, you know, did you um, did your family ever use Vicks Vapor Rub? And they're like, oh yeah, like of, of course. And I'm like, great. Like, can you tell me a little bit about those experiences? And people, I had this one person be like, like yeah, you know, my um, my mom she used to do this thing where she would mix um, like the Vicks Vapor Rub with like salt and her saliva, and then she would apply it in the shape of a cross, and then they go. <gasps> that's magic. And I'd be like, uh-huh. And then they're oh my like, God, I'm a witch. Right. And then they're like, oh God. So like, what about this? You know, like where they tell you to put like the, the scissors by your bed to like stop the nightmares. I'm like, that's, that's that too. And they're like, wait, but then what about this and this? And then, and then, and then they start to realize how much of the magic is just ingrained in our culture. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's so interwoven that we don't really see it as a separate practice from our daily lives. We don't see it as weird or magical or anything like that. It's just what we do. So it was really interesting to see people be like, oh, I don't do any of that. And then realize how much of their world really does revolve around that. And so that was a really exciting thing. And then they get really stoked on it. And then (laughs) then they would just talk and talk and talk and talk. And then uh, on occasion, people would then like call their mothers when they couldn't remember part of it, or they'd bring their mother in to speak with me. Um, So that was really exciting to see them light up when they realized like, oh my gosh, this is magic. And I'm like, yes, it is. And then they got so excited. And that was, that was a great part of this. The research for this book was, was my favorite part. I love it. I mean, in a parallel here, um, in the sense, because here is a very like Bible Belt, um, you know, the South, and there's all this folk magic in the Appalachias. And, but these are people that would, their grandmother did all of this stuff, but would never, ever say she did witchcraft. And, and they do it to this day. And whether you call it superstition, or, you know, magic, or, you know, they're doing all this stuff. And it's like, there's so much, and that's another thing too, is um, how you're saying you can't remove like the Christian aspect of that. Like here, mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to remove um, that. And, you know, and obviously being in the South and uh, being queer and being a witch and being pagan, you know, there's a lot of um, the the type of Christianity here uh, can be very, um discriminatory uh and gross and it's hard to you know reconcile like you know and I and I've come to a point where I appreciate that those folk aspects a little bit more um and I've talked to it before with like um Corey and different people um uh, about like working in Psalms or not being like scared of it because like you said mm-hmm. you carry around the Bible <laughs> um and like for somebody like from here and be like, oh God, I don't even have one in my possession anymore. Um, <laughs> and it's like, that kind of made me think too. It made me um, maybe change. And it's not like I didn't, I wasn't aware of that, but it's kind of like, you know, how can I remove the stigma that I've grown up with um, in this area and see that as something um, magical mm-hmm. and not just, you know, um, uh, religious and like um, evangelical and hellfire this. How can I see the magic in these stories um, and not shun when I hear, um, you know, a saint's name or Jesus or, you know what I mean? Um, and so I think that even like is another, oh, and you said like too, you know, you're not going to be able to practice if, I mean, you're, you're not going to get anything out of it if you just ignore all of that and say, well, I'm cutting all the Christianity part out of this. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's something that um, I feel like is a, is a, is a two-sided thing. You've got the people that are scared of it because of that Christianity and they would never want to hear that stuff work in there. And then they've been doing the magic their whole life kind of thing. Yeah. Um, paranormal investigation side of things. Um with witches and investigating, like, you know, you usually clear a space or you try to communicate with spirits. And I feel like you do it a little bit different than say like ghost uh, adventures. Um, So what part of your practice do you find carries over that would be directly tied to maybe something in the book or kind of what? Yeah. Like how, like what, what is the crossover between witchcraft and paranormal investigation like? Or at least with your practice specifically, um, and what you do when you investigate and kind of um, 
like all the tools and all the resources and all the the spells and stuff you you put in the book what are some of those that can cross over that you find yourself using well there there are some from the the book that that do cross over i wouldn't necessarily say that i approach paranormal investigation with specifically the type of magic that's in the book because that's definitely not the only type of magic that i do but um Mm -hmm. as far as specifically that type of magic um you know, things like like floor washes are, are important. And, and we do talk about ghosts a little bit in uh, the book as well. That was one of the, that was one of the funny things that I, kind of one of the the openers that I would do where people were like, I don't do any of that magic stuff. You got the wrong person. And, and so one of the questions I just kind of ice break with would be like, you know, have you ever seen a ghost? And a large portion of people had definitely seen a ghost. And my next question is, of course is, so what did you do? And I found that two people had been, or that most people had been taught one of two ways um, to deal with a ghost in kind of this system of magic. And one of them was to say a prayer, either the Our Father or the Hail Mary. And the other way was to swear at it profusely until it goes away. Um, (laughs) And I I do sort of see how both of those could work. Um, And when it comes to kind of witchcraft in general and paranormal investigation, for the longest time, these worlds have been held very separate from one another. There's witchcraft people and there's paranormal investigators and we don't necessarily tend to cross the aisle too much. Um, we have our anomaly people, you know, like Michelle Balanger, who does both, um, myself who does both. So we, we do have some kind of anomalies that do bridge the gap. Um, but for a long time, these these have been very separate areas, but I would really like to see that change because witches bring a very interesting perspective to it because I, I get a lot of people saying to me like especially like um like the the men in the family that I'm doing investigations for they're like they're like I don't know what to do because if it was a physical person I could do something you know I could punch him or I could you know get my gun or or whatever they're like but this is someone who doesn't have a body they're not in a physical plane so there's nothing that I can do Whereas witches, we are used to fighting our battles on the energetic plane, which is where ghosts live and other entities that haunt homes. So we as witches are much more equipped to deal with a lot of the haunting issues that we're facing um, because of our understanding of energy and how to move energy and how to change energy, clear it, um, do all kinds of things with energy because that's what these entities are made out of. Um, so it's 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 really not too big of a leap to go from witchcraft to the world of paranormal investigation. Of course, there is a bit of a learning curve. You have to understand the mechanics of things like a haunting and the different types of haunting and the different types of entities that you might come in contact with. So mm-hmm. I don't mean to say that just because you're a witch means that you're going to be a badass paranormal investigator. Well, of course not. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. And I and I don't I don't I don't recommend just leaping from witchcraft into paranormal investigation because you do deal with some very aggressive entities. And if you don't, and if you aren't educated in in how to face off with a certain kinds that you're facing, you can be in trouble because the way you you fix a haunting that is um, with human earthbound spirits is very different from how you fix one with like a negative entity or a residual haunting or like a time loop situation going on. Um, or a poltergeist. Those you have to approach those things very differently. But first, you have to be able to identify them. So it's it's really important to know that we don't just jump from witchcraft over there. But as witches, we speak a specific language that translates very well over into the world of paranormal investigation. And so I do highly recommend that people kind of work towards bridging that gap because I think we as witches have a lot to offer paranormal investigators. Something that has always irked me to no end is a lot of paranormal investigation teams are there for science reasons, whether they have any actual science background or not is, mm-hmm. is you know, hit and miss, but they like to see it as a very sciencey endeavor, um, which means that they don't like to embrace many of the spiritual things, meaning they can't do anything to help, but they do like to document. So something I realized early on in my paranormal investigation career was that when people would contact me from out of state going, I have this haunting, this thing is happening in my house, can, can you help me? And I'd be like, well, I can't get to you, but let me call your local paranormal investigation team. So I spent about two seconds on Google, find who their local team is, called them and go, hey, there's this house, they're having this problem. Can you go out 
and like fix it for them, like like help get the haunting over with. And 90% of the time, investigators, if they contacted me back at all, um, would respond with, well, we can't do anything to fix it, but we'd love to come out and take pictures. Right. And I'm like, that is not helpful. Well, <laughs> and I think- not what this person needs. I think there's a, um, I think there's a good correlation because I find out, um, I've had both where I meet people and they're paranormal investigators and then I find out they're a witch or vice versa. And I think when you're working with witchcraft or something similar, there's a lot of spirit work and, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you said, you have these tools, how to communicate and work with, and, you know, I approach it in a sense of like, yes, there's recording and like trying to, I guess, validate, but at the same time, I lean very heavily, of course, on my witchcraft and spiritual knowledge and, and all that in working with and trying to talk to. So yeah, it's, it's not just how to take a picture or, oh yeah, this is definitely haunted. Okay. Bye. Um, Right. Good luck. There's such a rich history of spirituality in the Latinx community um, or, you know, not spirituality per se, but, you know, they're very in tune with with that, like you said, and they have very, mm-hmm. um, and so I guess, like you said, bridge the gap from um, Bujaria to paranormal investigating or that equipped you with certain insights or just the other practices you have. Yeah, um, I don't I don't find too much, at least between my paranormal investigation and my Brujeria practice, um, I don't find too much crossover there. Um, I do work with the, the Olympia sometimes um, when I'm when I have a person who either has an attachment um, or some something else kind of paranormal happening to them specifically, um, I might work with those in order to help alleviate that a bit. Um, but I, I don't, the I have kind of a very specific system of magic that I work with for the mm. paranormal investigation portion. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that would be my, um, the answer then, uh, because I was just curious how that worked if there was like, um, you know, a lot tied into it because, I mean, you do come into different things when you talk about working with ancestors in um, like veneration or something like that, or Mm -hmm. a spell versus trying to communicate with something and help it to move on. I was doing paranormal investigating before I practiced witchcraft, um, like however many odd years ago. And it just kind of like clicked one day where it's like, these are not mutually exclusive. You know, they, there is that. So, I mean, when you see people um, bringing that witchcraft into the paranormal side um, and not just the token Wiccan on like a TV show um, is how it always, they get the biggest freak show they can find in the area and put them on TV. Um, That's representing all of us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's like, um, no, that's not necessarily how it is. And so there's, I, I think there's a lot of good people um, doing that. And it's, I think it's becoming more common. Um, you know, Hellier's a big one where Dana is doing, um, you know, like, and it doesn't shy away from um, like, this is a good ritual to do, or this is how I like to communicate or do mm-hmm. this. And, um, you know, there's a lot of divination um, that goes into it, clearing space, doing stuff like that, um, that we do in it that, I, I don't know. Most of the people we go on either are adjacent to witchcraft or kind of know, um, but I've not, I've not really done one yet with somebody that's like, oh my God, what the fuck are they doing? Um, they're trying to talk <laughs> to it with tarot or pendulum uh, or the Ouija board, which I feel like the Ouija board's an easy, um, easy thing. The one thing I had to ask was, um, or the last thing I wanted to ask you was like, what, what's next for you? Like now that you've got this book and I know you're very busy with it. Um, is there more in the, have you planned more in the future? Is this like a one and done? Like, that's all I needed to say. Or, um, <laughs> I mean, you've also got the podcast, um, which we'll plug too, but, um, like your future endeavors, uh, is it more books? Um, I do definitely have more books planned. Um, in fact, my second book was just picked up by a publisher. Um, and so you should look forward to that. I believe fall of 2022 is what they have said, because um, these things do take time to get published and get out into the world. So you definitely have not heard the last of me. And I do hope to bring uh, more interesting information to people out there and maybe kind of challenge the way that people have thought about their magic or have thought about um, 
well, a lot of things in this, in this community and in this world. So uh, you will definitely be hearing more from me. Um, and yes, I, I do have a podcast. Um, it is ran with a great friend of mine named Britton. Um, and me and her are having a great time. The podcast is called Invoking Witchcraft. And we talk mainly about folk magic, um, but it is an educational podcast. So if you are, are learning witchcraft and want to really kind of strip away kind of the social media version of witchcraft and really get down to the real like dirty real work then then we're the podcast for you for sure yeah it's definitely a good um like people that actually know what the the fuck is going on kind of vibe (laughs) uh and not just well how what is a witch and what do i do to become a witch like this is um so yeah that's exciting too so i mean i think your voice is a very important one to have um so it's nice to know that you're doing um, doing more and you're getting it out there because, um, yeah, you you got to take a break from the social media, the witch talks and um, all that shit out there. Otherwise, you won't have any idea what's going on and you just got to like do it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that you, um, for the bonus, is there any story that jumps out to you that like, uh, be it paranormal or whatever that... Um, that you'd like to share? Is there one that you you tell often or? Yeah, uh, so there is one that I, I don't get to tell very often, um, but I, I, I do like it. Um, I always like to preface my stories by saying that I've been doing this for a very long time and therefore I'm kind of desensitized to um, kind of the fear factor that comes with paranormal stories. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I do sometimes tell these on a podcast and then I get messages from people like, I really wish I hadn't heard that story because now I can't sleep or <laughs> whatever it is. So so if, if you if you have trouble with paranormal stories, maybe, maybe skip this one. Um, but this is the story of the spider girl. Well, I really appreciate you share that story. Um, it's definitely one of the best I've heard. But uh, no, I really appreciate it coming on. Thank you for um, chatting with me, getting through the awkwardness of how I try to think thoughts and words. But um, it was a lot of fun. And I'm enjoying the book. And um, I can't wait to see um, what's to come from you. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me on the show. Thank you.